you know, in general for thumb stopping content, to me, it's a really important mix of, you know, it's the art and the science. Having something that, you know, moves the, the heart and the mind that is done in a way that shows, I think, style. And I think something that can evoke emotion, you know, whether it's, you know, emotion of awe, right? Or uh, emotion of humor. I think that finding those, those really important emotions that your brand authentically can connect to and utilize is a really good way for people to have that, that thumb stopping content. This is the CMO NGO podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. And we are live. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Obviously, you're the head of e-commerce marketing at Cliff, but uh, you have a ton, a ton of uh, experience in marketing, branding. And yeah, I'm super excited to have you on there, on here. But uh, before we jump into all that, perhaps give us a little backstory of who you are, what you're up to. Yeah. So, Greg Yaden. So, working at, proudly working at Cliff Bar, uh, leading the e-commerce marketing team. And uh, my background is really in uh, mostly in marketing and brand management and innovation. Uh, I get a lot of inspiration from all those different areas, and I, I really enjoy it. It's a it's a great it's a great profession. So I consider myself lucky to to be able to do it. Um, I kind of I've kind of always been interested in marketing, even like as a kid, which is um, when I when I look back to the things I I really was drawn to. Um, I see that really reflecting in what I do today. Um, you know, I can't, I can always remember when my dad would come home from, you know, business trips and he'd have his USA today and his wall street journal. Um, you know, he, a lot of people go right to the sports page or the front page. I would always go to the business page and I would always be most interested in like the news about new advertising campaigns and, uh, new product launches and those kinds of stories. So in a way for me, marketing has always been, kind of on my radar of something really interesting that, um, you know, combines that creative and, and that business side of things, which I think makes it such a compelling profession. Absolutely. It sounds like you're a very precocious kid. Um, what was kind of your first like step into the marketing world? Kind of your first job? Yeah. Um, you know, first job, that's a really good question. Um, I'll tell you this, the first money I ever made was from door-to-door sales as a little kid trying to sell <laughs> cards. So, um, so I was pretty precocious with that. And then I tried selling my dad's uh, garden vegetables. He didn't like that too much. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, first jobs, you know, I, was, I did a lot of like landscaping, which is, you know, very traditional, not uncommon type of thing. Um, neighborhood landscaping and, and turning that into uh, a little a little hustle as a as a middle school student, uh, that was probably my first, my first work, my first, you know, kind of paid work. Um, you know, did a lot of work in restaurants, honestly. Uh, so not necessarily the marketing side, but, um, you know, being able to, to juggle orders and the kitchen and the front of the house, there's actually quite a lot of parallels to running a a branded business, believe it or not. So 
Um, that was some of my first work experience. And also, I think a really great job for anybody to do starting out, like try to do food service, try to do something in, in that as you're, as you're growing into, uh, you know, your world. I think there's a lot to learn there. Um, but, uh, you know, officially my, my first jobs, like out of college, my first job out of college was with a pharmaceutical biotech company, which, uh, Pfizer bought, um, called Wyeth pharmaceuticals. And I did have a passion for marketing, but I didn't get into it right away. I didn't find, um, a lot of great opportunities coming out of the Richmond, Virginia area, which I went to undergrad at university of Richmond. Um, and I had a really compelling opportunity with one of the top pharmaceutical firms in their biotech division and, um, got to work firsthand with, um, the doctors who were running clinical trials for, you know, really new to world cancer drugs. And my role was kind of a, as a business, um, the business end of the research side. So helping them, you know, get their operations up and running with vendors and ensuring those vendors were, uh, were vetted and had the right agreements and, 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 uh, you know, cost negotiated and, and all that kind of stuff. So I worked on that for about a year or two. And then I worked on the production side of the biotech business and also in kind of a sourcing and business development capacity. And I say this, you know, very fondly, I love the people. I love that business. I love what it does. Um, and it's just so many passionate people looking to, to help the world. Um, it just wasn't the most exciting thing for me. And that's really why I decided to, um, that I wanted to push forward and really try to get into brand management. And, and I went through the whole process of applying for business schools and, um, GMATs and essays and all that. And, um, I wound up at my first choice, which was the Kellogg School of Management in Evanston, Illinois. It's um, part of the Northwestern University. And that was my kind of first, first official dipping into, into marketing and uh, just really had an amazing experience there. Um, I started working after Kellogg um, in, at 3M in Minnesota and moved out to Minnesota and uh, worked for the amazing Post-it brand and that team there. Um, so I had some really great experience in, in that business and had some really fun things happen. Um, I, I made a move to the East coast and started working at Edgewell personal care, which at the time was called, um, Energizer personal care. So think about like Schick and banana boat and Playtex and all those great personal care brands. Um, and had a really great experience there. Um, we ended up moving out to the West coast, uh, my wife and I, we, we, uh, we were in Connecticut at the uh, Edgewell job and we, we decided that we didn't really love where we lived at the time. And we said, Hey, before we have kids, let's figure out like where we really, really want to be. And, and, uh, and that was, that brought us to the Bay area. So um, I, I got to work with a very entrepreneurial um, larger company uh, called Central Garden and Pet, which is the biggest supplier of pet care um, supplies in the U S and got to take some of their fledgling, businesses and really, really turn them around and be very entrepreneurial with them. So these are businesses that didn't really have a playbook per se, like a lot of the big CPGs have, which to me was exciting. I think to some people that's, that's daunting, but I love opportunities like that where there's white space and, um, you know, brands that need a little bit more love to get them in the right place. So I was there for about six years. Um, and a couple of the big brands I worked on there were uh, comfort zone, which is now the number one brand in the whole space of pet calming. 
uh, which is a big space. 70% of pets have anxiety. I don't know if you knew that, Joe. Oh, wow. No, no. <laughs> but uh, there's, a, well, there's a lot of anxious pets out there yeah. during these, these summer thunderstorms. Um, on some, some big flea and tick care businesses as well there. Um, I moved over to, um, to Cliff Bar in a different role. My prior roles were really as brand manager, and so I had that traditional brand manager uh, perspective and kind of the hub of the wheel that brand management is in terms of um, leading various aspects of the business and coordinating with uh, all the amazing cross-functionals you get to work with. And then this role came to me uh, for leading the, the um, e-commerce marketing team. And I was really excited about it. I had known about Cliff Bar for a while. I had read uh, Gary Erickson, the founder's book, Raising the Bar, back in 2011. So I was a big fan. And uh, this was a new group they formed um, to really, you know, really put some discipline to harness e-commerce in a, in a big way. And uh, I've been there, you know, for the last year and a half, and it's been really a really great journey. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny how your journey on the serendipity of your journey has, it gives you many life experiences that add to kind of your, um, what you're doing now. And if you had to boil down kind of one or two main, um, lessons or learnings during your path or your career, uh, Greg, what would you, what advice would you give to somebody wanting to pursue marketing or even somebody in marketing now? Um, what kind of pieces of uh, advice would you give them? Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is, was just learning to be more focused and oriented towards growth opportunities, as opposed to being goal oriented. Um, and what I mean by that is learning to have less emphasis on, Hey, what's my next, you know, role and promotion and having that mindset, which a lot of people get tied up in. But, um, you know, from an early time, being focused on here's some experiences I want to get. And I believe these experiences will really help me to build the types of things that I think I'll need to have in the future that I want to have that I'm interested in. Um, and, and I tell you, you know, being growth oriented has really helped me personally, um, scale because those skill sets they really do scale. You start adding things to each other, you know, for instance, with my current role, like really diving deep into the e-commerce world, I had done a lot with it, but, uh, man, I know so much more now and it's very helpful and it helps me work with my brand teams and my senior leadership, um, to craft and execute strategy. So I'd say, you know, focus on things you want to grow on, uh, and try to take experiences that get you that growth because growth will benefit you in ways that will probably be unexpected. Um, and toward, towards that ends, I think the other advice I would have is, um, you know, taking incremental steps. It's really hard to go from, uh, from one to 10, right? You have to hit all those other numbers in between. So trying to, you know, it's good to have a long-term view and, you know, for instance, like an, a, a, th a three-year plan, um, but, or a three-year goal, maybe it's better just to, you know, when you boil those things down, try to imagine those small steps you can take to get to what those goals are. Um, that way it's, it's a lot less, uh, intimidating and you kind of get away from the inertia of, Oh, this, this big goal, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Uh, how, how do I break it down? So, uh, 
yeah, I'd say make things incremental if you can. No, I have to second that, Greg. I think that's super important when you're on your journey. Um, although it seems like a lot of people um, have been a little derailed from their uh, goals because of the whole pandemic. Um, but from your perspective, Greg, what's kind of been the most challenging uh, parts of the pandemic? It could, be, it could be personally, professionally, and how have you managed to stay growth-oriented during the times? That's a really, really great and important question. Um, you know, the biggest challenge kind of stems from personal challenge, and that's, you know, having having two amazing little girls and, um, gosh, how do you, how do you keep them engaged and doing the right things when, uh, when you're stuck at home in a type of, you know, in a quarantine in a shelter in place, that was really, really, really difficult. Um, they need, they need a lot of support and both my wife and I, uh, are working full time. So, um, thankfully we both have companies that have some nice flexible policies that enable us to, carve out certain amounts of time that we need to, uh, to care for our, our family. So that's been a really amazing benefit for us. Um, but that's hard. I mean, they, they need a lot of support and, you know, they say that every time you're interrupted, um, it takes 23 minutes to refocus on what you were doing. Um, and I don't know how much time you spent with a toddler, but they like to interrupt a lot. <laughs> so that makes work productivity really, really hard. Um, you know, for us, the situation has definitely improved. Like I said, the company has been very supportive and, uh, we also have been able to find as the County and the state have gone more open in California, um, ways for them to get care from, from, uh, their schools and their teachers. So, so it's, um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey so far. Um, that has been a challenge at, and as I inferred from the, uh, the, the care that they need, that becomes a lot harder to, to be the, the worker that you want to be. And, uh, I know that you have a fire in the belly as well, Joe, but just wanting to get to all the things that you're passionate about to help, uh, grow your business and grow your team, um, becomes a lot more challenging when you've got little ones that also need your care. And, uh, you know, i I found, um, you know, a couple things that have helped me along the way just to be very more reflective, I think, during this time. So I have adopted, uh, after the advice of hearing from a, a really great Kellogg professor, Harry Kramer, about the importance of doing maybe some work journaling. And um, I've taken on a habit of trying to do that every day, of trying to understand what have I done well, what can I do better? Um, and that's helped me kind of, you know, pick my head up from this, this really odd time that we're all in where all the days kind of blend together um, and still enable myself to be reflective and, and try to work on some, some personal growth. Um, so those are, you know, that's been the biggest challenge for me. It's also challenging from the perspective of, you know, work and team and culture. Um, it's really hard to have a uniform culture when everyone is working at home in a way, uh, as much as you try to do it. Uh, and keep those, keep those core cultural elements. That's important, but it's a lot more challenging. Um, and it's also challenging. You know, we have, I've onboarded a new employee and, uh, you know, doing that remotely is also a challenge. It's just a different muscle that I don't think any of us really have built before. Um, and, and it takes, it takes a lot of, a lot of care and, and, uh, and it's great. I love, I love onboarding and developing a team, but it's definitely a new skill set. Absolutely. I appreciate those, uh, those comments. I think, uh, um, 
just to switch gears a little bit, I want to maybe jump into a little bit more marketing stuff. Um, yeah. From your perspective, uh, Greg, how's the marketing industry changed from when you first started to now? You know, when I when I was first starting, I, th- I think media is probably the biggest change um, to one extent. Uh, you know, as as digital has become life, um, you know, you hear less and less about, hey, what's our print campaign going to be for next year? And um, you know. Every every brand on their selling slides to a customer, you have this kind of. I've seen this everywhere. This kind of like wheel of marketing where it shows like the three sixty degree plan, and man, those plans are so much different these days. Um, you know, from from print, really, you know, struggling, still having a, a home, and I think you know you can find great opportunities in print if it matches where your target consumer is. But you know, print on the downside radio, obviously on the downslide, but morphing into things like this, right. Um, into podcasting, which is just an amazing medium for many purposes. Um, TV and the advent of, um, OTT or streaming. I think that's a really huge opportunity. Um, especially as that gets more intelligent in tying together, um, the user and, um, ways to, to find the right people and, and, get the right products and services in, in front of them in a compelling way. Um, social media is obviously a, a gigantic one. When I was at 3M, I remember this was in like 2007. Um, I think I joined Facebook in 2006 um, when I was at grad school. Uh, and in 2007, I was working on Post-it brand. And uh, I remember saying like, well, Hey, this is, you know, the product I was working on was really for students. Like this is where students are. We have to find a way to market to them. So I was the first person at 3M to think about using Facebook as a marketing tool, which was, which was pretty fun to do. Um, so that, that obviously that changes here. Social media marketing is here in a major way. Um, you know, the other big change I think is Amazon as both a sales and a marketing force. Um, Early on into Amazon's foray into consumer goods, uh, I was part of, again, probably one of the first projects at the company I was at, at Energizer Personal Care, to say like, hey, this is not just a sales platform. This is a marketing platform. What can we do here? Um, so I've had a vision for that as well. And, and that's that's really obviously come, come true in a major way, in many surprising ways. Um, and I think, you know, if I, if I were to look forward... What I'm seeing from how, how are things going to going to change from a marketing perspective, I think that artificial intelligence is kind of that next unlock for marketers. And there's a lot of ways that can be unlocked. Um, kind of the first way that I've, I've worked on it is uh, with a startup called uh, Visit, V-I-Z-I-T um, dot AI. And they have a really cool technology that helps you understand um, how engaging are my images to my audience. And let's face it, having thumb-stopping content is so important in this world, whether it's your main e-commerce hero image or your social media ad. Uh, you know, we are bombarded by thousands and thousands of stimuli, right? Um, so how can you, how can you uh, leverage technology so that it's easier for you to, to stand out? So that's just one aspect of AI and Visit is a really cool company. 
but there's others too. There's AI companies that do um, customer relationship management. That's another big area I think that we're seeing some growth in. So there's a lot to come there. Um, and I think for people who are visionary and can see the ability for technology to affect marketing, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned uh, thumb-stopping content. I know for me, myself, whenever I do have a little bit of spare time and I do browse uh, social media networks, I'm always going through it at uh, such a rapid scroll speed that it does take something outstanding for me to stop and ponder. So I'm curious from, from your perspective, Greg, what's kind of um, the elements of or content elements that would uh, lead to a compelling uh, creative yeah, I think, I think um, that's a really good question. You know, just from a really structural standpoint, um, I think there's a lot to do with color and space. Um, so uh, in terms of what's on the creative, like there, there, are, there are things that are more engaging to our brains than, than other things are, like the type of photography angle, right? Or as I mentioned, juxtaposition of colors. There are things that stand out based on our inert wiring. Um, and it's, you know, with some of these technologies, you can figure out what those are, uh, but, you know, in general for thumb stopping content, I, it's a, to me, it's a really important mix of, um, you know, it's the art and the science, um, having something that, you know, moves the, the heart and the mind, um, that is done in a way that shows, I think style. Um, and I think something that can evoke emotion, you know, whether it's, um, you know, emotion of awe, right. Or, uh, emotion of humor. I think that finding those, those really important emotions that your brand authentically can connect to and utilize is a really good way for people to have that, that thumb stopping content. Absolutely. My question though, um, I'm, I'm always curious, um, invoking those emotions, What's, uh, I guess, what's been kind of the most successful uh, marketing campaign that, that you've ever worked on that has evoked those type of emotions and um, return on investment? You know, mar marketing is really interesting. I think in, a lot of people think marketing equals magic. Um, but I think my, my marketing equation would be marketing is magic times math. Uh, <laughs> so some of the most successful campaigns I've been on, you know, might be like the least sexy, um, just because they really made an impact on the business. I mean, and how do you define success with a marketing campaign? Um, I mean, it probably should be sales, right? I mean, that's a major one. You could have something that's maybe is more PR oriented. Like how do we get people to realize that my company does these awesome things and maybe it's, you know, a traffic um, or a sentiment, a long-term sentiment type of, but for me, I'm typically most interested in what I can do to, to support sales. Um, and probably one of the most successful ones I worked on was, um, a big national ad campaign for banana boat launching a new product, um, uh, and banana boats, a sunscreen banana boat, cool zone sport. Um, it kind of had, a cooling effect on you and it had a, a different scent. And so it was actually a really neat innovation. Um, you know, we had, I think what, what helps generate sales, I think is really all parts of that, that marketing engine working for you. 
distribution, you know, pricing, um, in-person interaction with consumers. We had a really compelling uh, activation that we did with NASCAR and NASCAR tracks to help people from getting sunburned while they're out there on long, hot days. But it, the, uh, the clincher was really the national ad campaign we put together. Um, you know, it was that big 360 typical print in those days. Um, this was like 2010 um, print and TV and social and everything. And, you know, in the end, because of this really good 360 connection, uh, we grew sales quite a bit. And we took a lot of share points from the other brands in the category. So it was just to look at that program from beginning to start and comparing it to prior year, it was just a massive shift in the market. And it was caused by really all of those elements. Um, so it was, the, it was great execution. The creative was also really great. We had a an innovative uh, TV ad campaign that was kind of like um, if you if you made a, a Rube Goldberg type of device for people, <laughs> envision that with your mind's eye. Uh, really talked about the um, you know how banana boat protects for the seven conditions, which um, I probably can't remember them all today, but you know sun, sand, water. Etc. There's other ones too, uh, but it's it's been a while. So that was very very successful. Um, and that was one of those big massive you know consumer goods campaigns, which um, which is uh, you know something that requires a lot of coordination, big company. Um, but you can also have a lot of success with things that are maybe more that seem more tactical. And I would say you know re remarketing campaigns on Amazon have been really really successful for us um, and finding ways to leverage all of the great traffic that you get and remind people of your awesome products um, is a really important aspect to, to marketing, which, um, you know, is not universally adopted yet. I think a lot, a lot of, you know, a lot of the digital native brands do this, of course, uh, many of the CPG brands do it. Um, but it is just, you know, it's one of those things. It might not seem like the, the, the coolest campaign ever, but it's incredibly successful. Absolutely. I love when you mentioned the magic plus math. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to start using that. Um, speaking of that, but uh, let's say hypothetically, I always love to ask this question to expert marketers like yourself, Greg, but uh, let's say you got an extra 50% of budget. How and what type of things would you spend that on to get that uh, ROI, ROI back? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good question. Um, you know, with that kind of budget, you know, if that was kind of added on to a plan, I think a really interesting play to invest more in right now would be um, doing more with connected TV and trying to expand audiences using all the great connected TV tools. Um, a lot of marketers are having you know, having trouble getting going with connected TV because I think the mindset is, Hey, let's make a choice. Let's go with this one and see how it does. When really those audiences, uh, in many cases don't, don't over overlap. And so you'll be missing a part of the market. Um, so it's a really new, interesting space, which I think makes it exciting. I think that that means there's also a lot of opportunity there. Um, and there's some cool companies in the space trying to help brands get better at it. Um, there's a company, called TV data now, which is new on the scene. And they've got a great kind of 
starter kit to get brands going in that whole space. So, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a really a really big compelling space for uh, for many brands, and, and I, I'd say that would be a big priority. From your perspective, Greg, what what are some of the marketing trends that are really exciting you right now, or that you see um, from your perspective? For me, I you know I still really really love knowing what digitally native brands are up to in the in the world of all these hundreds of you know venture backed direct consumer brands. Um, there's so many really cool things that they're doing um, in different categories, and I think there's a lot that you can learn from um, from how they go to market and from what the successful ones are doing. Um, and I, I really I really enjoy seeing the creative angles they have on meeting a consumer need, uh, you know, trying to find uh, a niche out there that they can attach to and then expand their market from there. So um, there's a great resource. Um, I don't know the full website, but the, the group is called IAB. And there's a whole list of uh, digitally native brands on there. Uh, they have like a top 250 list. It's 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 a really interesting read to start looking at some of those brands and what they're doing. So I I think that that's not a new trend. Um, it's it's been going on for in a in a big way. I want to say probably the last four years, but there's still there's still so much that um, these really creative entrepreneurial companies uh, can do. There's so much opportunity. Mm. Is there? Oh, from what you can share, though, is there one in particular, a brand or even a marketer that uh, you've really admired the last few few years? There's there's a few. Um, I'll say personally, um, in terms of a, a something that's an amazing combination of a physical product and a software content ecosystem is Peloton. Um, now I know, as a disclaimer, they had a pretty uh, a pretty odd Christmas ad campaign, <laughs> a lot of negative press. So my comment is not about their ad campaign. It's really about you know the core of what they built, which is just a really amazing bike uh, and the online classes, um, and then just expanding that class, that whole class content ecosystem to yoga and running and meditation. Um, Pretty amazing. So, as a as a user and also as a marketer, I'm just in awe of everything they've done. And you know, gosh, Joe, talk about um, you know, right product, right time for them, huh? I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they've really built out a um, a community of uh, people. Yeah, obviously a great product, and um, I think having that community is uh, um, almost foundational to building a pretty big successful brand like a Peloton. Yeah. So that's, that's a, a major success, um, on a very complex product. You're going a little more simply. Um, one, one product that is in my pantry every day is, uh, is Bonzo, which is this, uh, this noodle company that makes pasta from chickpeas. Mm. So it's gluten-free. Um, the product itself, I mean, it still doesn't have the, you know, the mouthfeel and the taste that you would from a, you know, wheat-based pasta. Um, so I think there's never anything that'll be an absolute replacement for the deliciousness of, you know, handmade Italian raviolis or something like that. 
but it's a great substitute because I, I, you know, I myself um, had to medically cut out gluten a little while ago, and it's been nice to reintroduce, you know, pasta back into uh, the kitchen for myself. So I'm a big fan of that, and I know they're doing really well. I see them on NCAP at Whole Foods pretty much all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, my fiance actually uh, is a big uh, chickpea pasta person herself, and yeah, I've, I've tried it myself, and it's uh, pretty pretty comparable, I'd say, pretty comparable. Yeah. Um, there's one question I always love to ask. Also, um, it, it may be a little tricky if you if you call it, but uh, what's one question, Greg, that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked? Yeah, that's, that's a really, (laughs) really good question. I don't know if I have a a great answer, um, on that one. It probably would be, you know, from my kids, like that they would maybe ask me more about, um, what I'm thinking about or what I'm working on. (laughs) (laughs) I get a lot of questions at work. So I feel like people, uh, you know, I'm a pretty open book as well. So there's probably not a lot more questions they need to ask me, but, uh, yeah, probably for my kids, for them to have the, the ability to ask some of those questions. Yeah, I guess kind of segueing into the next question. Um, what's kind of the biggest things um, Cliff Bar is doing that maybe consumers don't know too much about? And Cliff Bar is a really amazing company and, um, you know, a very well-known brand in the U.S. And, um, and we are expanding in Canada. So I know that it's a our products, uh, whether it's Cliff Bar or uh, Builders Bar um, or our Cliff Nut Butter Bar, are, are big favorites for many Canadians. Um, you know, the biggest thing about Cliff Bar that uh, folks don't know is probably that we have we have such an amazing uh, purpose as a company. You know, we're we're not just a company that makes delicious and largely organically based items. Um, you know, we, we have essentially five bottom lines and, um, of course you've got your bottom lines of your business. Everyone, everyone has that. Um, and, and your, you know, your brands. Um, but then we have, um, how we sustain our people. Um, that's a absolutely critical way of running the business. And, uh, we are all, we are accountable for how we sustain our people. We are accountable for how we sustain the planet and what we do there. We have major, um, a majorly important planet team that uh, helps to orchestrate all kinds of initiatives in terms of what our impact is um, and the impact we can have on other companies. For instance, we are uh, very fortunate to uh, be a leader in organic farming and we provide a lot of that research out to um, farmers who want to learn how to get better at it. Um, Then of course we have our communities and addressing um, community needs and what we can do, um, uh, beyond just, you know, being someone who works in a building in a community, what can you do around those communities? What can you do around your hometown? Um, and we're very much encouraged to volunteer during the year. We have so many good volunteer programs. Uh, we do, we do a lot of things beyond volunteering as well to help our communities. So this is a company that is truly unique and, um, you know, in a similar way, I think friends of mine, they talk about Patagonia as being a brand that um, does a lot of amazing things beyond the business um, and are well known for it. We do so many amazing things and uh, I would love for us to get more credit for it and for people just to have an awareness because it's very inspiring. Absolutely. 
I love the purpose. And obviously your guys' product is awesome. I remember, uh, when I was playing football, it was Cliff, Cliff Meyer was my go-to uh, snack before yeah. game, but, uh, no, that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, only a couple more questions for you here, Greg. Um, yeah, I'd love to know what are kind of your favorite social media networks. That's a good question. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things in the news about, um, about, Facebook and some of the things they're doing. Um, I don't want to wade in that controversy other than just to say that I think there's a lot of things that need to be addressed in terms of how that company is run. Um, aside from that, just purely on the basis of, you know, as a marketer, um, I, I think it, it's a tremendous way to reach people with your products. Um, but I do want to separate those two issues because the first one is a, is a majorly important issue. Um, Aside from that, um, I think in terms of consumer marketing, those are probably the ones that come first to mind, um, being in the, in the B2C space. Um, I do think as, as a user, um, LinkedIn has gotten better and better every year and they have just an amazing team there. So I, I find that to be uh, a really good place to, to learn and connect and get educated on things. Where would... Uh TikTok rank in that uh, pecking order? You know, I, I haven't really delved into the TikTok thing too much. Um, you know, in my day to day, I don't right now have uh, social media responsibilities. So <laughs> I've been a little bit social media agnostic. I know it's, I know it's a big deal. Um, side story, uh, you know, my daughter started distance learning this week for her school. And after day one, she has her laptop and she says, daddy, does this have TikTok on it? <laughs> <laughs> She's fine. She's fine. Uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm not an expert there. Um, by any means, it does seem like, uh, people really engage with the platform and enjoy those, uh, those really short bursts of, of content. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where can our listeners connect with you online, Greg? Yeah, I mean, um, they could find me on on LinkedIn, and uh, you know, my name is Greg Yaden, uh, G R E G, and then Y E A D O N. So, yeah, happy to connect with, uh, with other folks out there for sure. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I loved your stories and all your um, insight on marketing and kind of your career journey as well. Um, I usually love to end the podcast with the guests, um, say one word or phrase to describe uh, themselves. So my question to you, Greg is what's one, one word or phrase that you would use to describe Greg Yadin's brand. Yeah. What one word, huh? <laughs> yeah. You made it deceptively simple. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, for me, it's, it's impact, you know, the importance of making an impact and you can take that many ways. Um, I had, I had a, a mentor of mine, uh, who was a school administrator who, you know, when I was graduating high school, she said, Hey, whatever you do, get out there and make an impact. And that always really stuck with me. This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. 
See you on the next episode.